something that has blessed Ted's life for many years. You know, he's been an elder here since the 80s, been teaching here since the early 80s from this pulpit. <clears throat> Ted is very consistent. He's consistent in his walk with God and very consistent in his thoughts about me, as you may have noticed. As the kids say, takes one to know one. As my eyes get worse, I have to maneuver things up here a little bit. And <clears throat> actually, we, regarding what Ted shared, <clears throat> we invite anyone to come and help the Kingdom Seekers on a Saturday, even if it's once a year or once every six months or once every three months or whatever, can always use that extra set of hands to serve coffee. The Kairos team has been great in helping us, but that's a small group. So if, if anybody ever just, hey, I think I'll come, come and help, uh, <clears throat> we're always happy to see more hands. But you won't have to wait until next Saturday to, to hear um, what I was going to share on prayer, uh, follow up what, what Ted was talking about. We'll actually cover that this morning. <clears throat> and one of the evidences of the power of prayer, especially uh, those of you here this morning that are married and you have uh, a spouse that you pray for, you know, many things, you know, greater hunger for God and all that. Well, my wife has been praying hard for me to get my ears checked. And uh, tomorrow is the day I have my audiologist appointment. So the power of prayer, uh, my wife is a good example of that. Excuse me, let me. Okay, as we finish up, uh, Second Timothy, and we'll be launching into Titus. Uh, I'll be speaking this morning uh, from Second Timothy, <clears throat> and this isn't going to be the teaching where you have one passage or one main thing uh, that gets expounded on very deeply. Uh, Dave is particularly talented uh, in doing that and illuminating a passage that I'd maybe read a hundred times and got nothing from it, and Dave expands it out and it's like, wow, I never knew that was in there. Um, and he puts it in the context of the whole Bible uh, in so doing. Uh, but this morning we're gonna have more of a smorgasbord. Um, raise your hand if you have, if you enjoy going to the Lancaster County smorgasbords they have there, those restaurants. Yeah, Diener's is our favorite. If it's a smaller one, not as well known, um, much less expensive, but the food is just as good and there's just as much of it, uh, which is what I think more about. Um, raise your hand if you've ever gone to one of those smorgasbords and after you eat the meal part, it's like you're pretty well filled up and you really don't have room for dessert, but you eke out a little dessert anyway because they're so good. Anybody ever experienced that? Yeah, well, you know the solution for that. You start with dessert. Then whatever room you have left over, you go up and enjoy the other food. Think about it. Okay. 
So this morning will be a little bit of a smorgasbord. <clears throat> so some of the things I talk about just may not resonate really, but just wait on the Lord this morning for that one or maybe two things where the Lord will, you know, as we're going down the, the list of Paul's uh, famous um, verses that are oft quoted, often quoted, um, just wait on the Lord for that one where God's going to give you a zinger because there's no way to predict, you know, which one might be the zinger for you that the Holy Spirit will use. So starting out, we're going to start with uh, looking at Paul's life, and then we're going to go through some of what I consider a, a sample of famous verses, ones we hear quoted a lot uh, and talked about a lot, um, you know, just over the years. There are people here that have been believers more than 50 years. Uh, I'm coming up, actually, yeah, I actually just celebrated my 50th year um, since I received Christ back in high school days. Uh, and the Benlins have known the Lord more than 50 years. Ted and Karen have known the Lord more than 50 years. There may be some others too, I I'm not sure. But so we're going to hit on some verses that, you know, over the, the years that you've been saved, you'll recognize them. So we're going to start with um, the first of two timelines. So first of all, uh, Jesus, they say, died in actually 31 AD. Okay. And... Paul was converted in 33 AD, and then he was martyred in 67. So uh, obviously, he ministered for 34 years. Okay, so he squeezed in there those missionary trips and uh, all the, the letters that he wrote to churches and everything, and, and the pastoral letters, Timothy Titus writing to his closest disciples. Uh, he packed all that in 34 years, and that was 34 years of walking with God, at, as we know, at a level that it was so intense that obviously that inspires all of us. So uh, actually, if you turn to Acts chapter 7 for a moment, we're just going to take a quick look at the background of Paul. Now, all of us, or most of us here we're familiar with Paul's life. We've read, you know, these passages before, but I want to just kind of go through them to just refresh our memory uh, of what God did in Paul's life and where he was coming from. You know, sometimes you say to somebody, they say something to you and you say, well, where are you coming from with that comment or with that? Uh, so we want to see where's Paul coming from? So in Acts chapter 7, starting with verse 58. Sorry, my bookmark had fallen out. Um, so this was Stephen. It says, when they had driven... St him, Stephen, out of the city and began stoning him. And the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named 
Saul. They went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Having said this, he fell asleep. Obviously, he died. Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. And on that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Some devout men buried Stephen and made a loud lamentation over him, their beloved brother. But Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house and dragging off men and women. He would put them into prison. So, as we know, Saul was intense. Um, he studied under uh, a famous uh, Pharisee uh, leader who they say may have been the president of the Sanhedrin, uh, Gamaliel, uh, or he, if he wasn't the president, he was one of the, the leaders of the reigning, shall we say, body of Pharisees uh, at that time in Jerusalem. And his father was pretty famous as a, um, as a, a teacher, uh, respected teacher of the law, but his grandfather was uh, particularly famous. Um, his name was Hillel the Elder, if you ever run across him in your reading, uh, but he was uh, known as like being the epitome of uh, just, uh, you know, among the greatest of all um, teachers of the law. But interestingly, Gamaliel was a bit lenient toward Christians. So Paul being his disciple, he, Paul didn't seem to pick up on that aspect of it. What he picked up on was just the veracity of the law and he was going to follow the law and any you know, that there was no uh, gray areas. It was all black and white. Whereas Gamaliel was all open to God, you know, fulfilling the law and doing a, a new thing. Some actually believe that he may have become a Christian in there somewhere um, and that he was using his influence to try to, you know, soften things for the believers. Now, only the Lord and Gamaliel know that, but um, we'll find out someday when we get up there. Okay, now uh, a fairly uh, familiar little passage here that Paul tucks in uh, in the book, in his letter to the Philippians, when talking about um, the circumcision, uh, the true circumcision and false circumcision. So as we know, starting with Abraham, circ circumcision was a sign of the covenant with God. But then after Jesus... Now, it was a new circumcision. And where was that circumcision? Obviously, of the heart. So, in Philippians chapter 3, starting with verse 3, Paul says, For we, <clears throat> excuse me, we are the true circumcision, who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Although... I myself might have confidence even in the flesh. 
If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. So again, Paul was just reminding the church at Philippi just how absolutely he was totally 200% dedicated to following the law. Uh, what we assumed, and it was an effort to try to please God, and as we know, persecuted the church as a result. Now, also, um, Paul mentions, if you want some homework, uh, in Acts chapter 22, you can jot this down if you want to read it this week, Acts 22, 1 through 21, it recounts some of this, and this is where he mentioned that he was a, a pupil of Gamaliel and all, Acts 22, 1 through 21, we won't take time to read it this morning. Um, if you can turn with me, though, to Acts chapter 9. Oops. Acts chapter 9, starting with verse 3. We'll just take a, uh, another little look here at what happened to Saul, to this persecutor of the church. As he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, but get up. And enter the city, and it will be told to you what you must do. The men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could, not, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Then if we jump down to verse 17... We know that God sent, actually, uh, an anointed Jew. Turns out this Ananias, uh, it was reported, was, it was very well respected in the Jewish community. Um, and then, obviously, he got saved, uh, received Jesus as his Messiah. So uh, he was already had a heart to please God and was faithful to God before he was saved. So he was, uh, shall we say, a vessel of honor um, already when he did get saved. Um, so Ananias departed and entered the house, and after laying his hands on Paul, said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming has sent me to you that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he regained his sight, and he got up and was baptized. So 
that was a mighty, as we know, a mighty move of God. Now, circling back to what Ted was talking about with the power of prayer. Once Stephen got stoned and Saul was his, uh, should we say, prominence among believers became that much more recognized. Um, do you think anybody prayed? How do you think they prayed for Saul, this wicked guy who's killing Christians and, and if not killing them, just ripping them out of their homes and their families and throwing them into prison. What do you think people prayed? Well, some probably prayed, swing the pendulum the other way, you know, kind of the Elijah way. God send fire down from heaven. Boom, 50 soldiers are killed. Um, they're torched divinely. So probably some Christians might have prayed that way. Others might have just, you know, brought the pendulum only halfway and said, God, get him out of here. He's, you know, he's interrupting the flow of the gospel and interrupting revival. Um, and then there were probably some very faith-filled and some real visionaries who prayed, God, save him, save him. Now, if they started praying this regularly in the local prayer meetings, you know, the, the meetings behind very closed doors, uh, they probably were a lot uh, quieter than they used to be before Stephen got stoned. Um, and, and also we know, as it says, the church was dispersed. So people were running, you know, leaving their homes behind and escaping with their life uh, and not imprisonment. <clears throat> So, but in their prayer meetings, these people that said, Lord, save him, save him. Do you think that might have caught on? Do you think some other believers might have realized, well, maybe instead of torching him, Lord, yeah, maybe it would be better if you save him, you know, show your, you know, God, you're rich in mercy. So, uh, and look how merciful you were to Israel, hundreds of years in rebellion against you before you came in with Nebuchadnezzar and and chasing them, but okay, God, be merciful to him. Save him, Lord, open his eyes. And it was two years, roughly two years uh, after Jesus was raised from the dead that Saul got saved. So we don't know at what point exactly, you know, from the persecution to the day that he fell on his knees, you know, I don't think it's known exactly how long that was, but those believers, you talk about, Ted was talking about the power of prayer. To me, Saul is the best example of that that we have in the Bible of God saving somebody that most of us wouldn't even think to pray for their salvation. Um, you know, Putin uh, and the leader of North Korea and the leader of China and, you know, people like that that are responsible for the deaths and, and the suffering that they're causing on so many lives. Um, you know, kind of hard to pray for their salvation, but 
the power of God. You know, if God can do it in Saul to become Paul, God can do it in other, what we would say, evil leaders as well. Now, I, I think it is fair to say, Lord, you know, as you're sending your word over and over and over and over, you give them so many chances, you know, Lord, if they're going to repent. And if you know they're not going to repent, Father, we ask that you will remove them. Um, but again, there is God gives us as his adopted sons and daughters tremendous power in prayer. And all the times we read Paul and his letters for the rest of our lives, we can just remember, wow, Lord, I wouldn't even be reading this letter if those believers hadn't prayed and, and ushered in your purposes for that man's life. God already had the purposes sitting there, but he needed the prayers of his saints to usher that in. And it talks about in the Old Testament and in Isaiah, travailing, the travailing in prayer. That's what the church did, and that's what God wants us to do. So let's uh, zero in now specifically on just a few common passages in 2 Timothy. Now, both Paul and Peter talked about uh, a few times stirring believers up by the way of reminder. So it's so easy for us when we become familiar with passages to say, oh, oh yeah, I'm familiar with that. Yeah, I read that this week. Yeah, I've read that at least 100 times, maybe 150 times uh, since I've been a believer. But let's just kind of sit back and listen to the Holy Spirit speak as we go through his word and, and see if the Lord has uh, a couple of zingers for you this morning. So a first very common passage, 2 Timothy, uh, we'll start in chapter 1 and just kind of jump through the, the four chapters. Um, and it's interesting, this is one of the, it's not obviously even close to the shortest book in the Bible, but, you know, it's not like Third John or something, but it is one of the shorter books of the Bible. But yet, uh, Paul packs a lot in this last of his letters that he is going to write. So in verse five, he's talking about Timothy's background. And he said, for I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I am sure that it is in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Okay, now, if you had a nickel for every time you heard this verse, verse seven, for God has not given us a spirit of some uh, translations say spirit of fear. Um, New American Standard uh, uses the word a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. So we know that in Proverbs, it tells us uh, that the righteous are as bold as a lion. So whereas we definitely need to have discernment uh, of when to speak out, when to be silent, when to just throw little seeds out, when to blow the howitzer and bombard somebody with uh, lots of scriptures, uh, we have to pray for God for discernment. Um, but 
at the same time, he does want us to be bold and be ready to say what needs to be said, um, particularly when, when we share the gospel. So point number one, we need to be bold as a lion. Okay, not have a spirit of fear or timidity, uh, but a spirit of power. But that power is also exercised in love. Paul had the power. Paul healed all kind of people. Paul had, you know, snake hanging from his arm and whoop, let's get rid of this poisonous snake, whoosh, tosses him in the fire and didn't even die from it. Didn't even have any ill effect from that snake, except maybe he had a little pricking his finger from where the fangs hung on to him, but he, he had the power, you know, he flowed in the power of God, but Paul also, he was bold, but he also had love. Okay, next, uh, moving to chapter two. Um, there's a, what they believe may have, may have been one of the hymns. Uh, Paul does quote a few little things like this that we don't see anywhere else in scripture that, um, that some Bible scholars believe that they were hymns of the first century. Uh, so uh, in verse 11 through 13, it is a trustworthy statement. For if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. So we know that in, the, uh, in verse 12 there, it, consistent with uh, the parable that Jesus spoke, that for those that, when Jesus said those who deny him, well, not a parable, but will be denied uh, in front of the holy angels uh, on that day, on the judgment day. Uh, so he certainly, you know, when our back is against the wall, you know, are you really a Christian? And they shine the, uh, the flashlight in the eyes and whatnot, interrogating us. Um, think of the, the dear sister in the Lord from Columbine, that when those trench coat mafia kids said, are you a Christian? She said, yes, I am. And then they, they murdered her on the spot. So she's a, a present day example of someone that pressed right to the end, pressed to death. She would not deny her Lord. May we have the same courage, the same faith and the same boldness that that sister did. But interestingly, right after that, he says, if we are faithless. So there are certain situations where we're just not full of faith. You know, things that we should be praying for or whatnot. And it's like, Lord, I don't even have the faith to pray that. Some Christians may not have had the faith to pray that Paul would get saved. Um, but if we are faithless, thank the Lord, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. So it's kind of like the guy that said to Jesus, Lord, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. And it says he remains faithful. He's not going to ditch us and throw us in the trash can 
you know, we're all a work in progress, each of us. And, you know, until the day of Christ Jesus. And so he said, he promises us here, he remains faithful. So uh, we can have that assurance that whatever we're going through, uh, and, and even if it's a time that we don't really have the faith, you know, hanging on, going through some trial or whatnot, he remains faithful. Okay, now in jumping to verse 15, um, and just taking a step back, there are a few kind of repeated th themes throughout Paul's letter here to Timothy. Again, this is his parting shot to Timothy uh, before he's going to be martyred. And he knows he's going to be martyred soon, and he probably knew, you know, even though he said, Timothy, come, you know, come fast if you can, but he knew Timothy might not make it in time before he would be martyred. So he knows this is my last shot to Timothy to teach him and encourage him to continue on after I go be with, with the Lord Jesus. So one of them obviously is imprisonment and suffering. Paul mentions his chains, his imprisonment multiple times throughout this last letter. So we know that suffering is kind of part of the package of being a believer in the Lord Jesus. Some of us have experienced very varying amounts of that. Personally, I, I can't say that, I, you know, I, I haven't been persecuted to any great degree in any job situation or whatever. So I, I haven't experienced that. So I can't, you know, I, I can't really speak to that because I, I haven't been in it and in, 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 in high intensity as, as Paul was. Uh, but Paul says, you know, and we'll get to it. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Another theme <clears throat> throughout here is good works that he kept on saying, you know, to be adequate for every good work, every good work, every good work. And we know that Paul wrote the Ephesians and said, by grace, you've been saved through faith. It is not your own doing, not as a result of works lest any man should boast, you know, look at all the great works I did. Surely God will let me into heaven. So, you know, we, we talk to people who think it, it's by their good deeds. You know, my, my own mother was one of those, and she was such a good person. I mean, she put so many believers to shame uh, being a good person all, all through the years. But thankfully, my other sister and I were, have been praying over the years trying to sow seeds. She tried to talk me out of Christianity uh, after I got saved, but thankfully the Lord gave me his grace and strengthened me. You know, she said, you know, we, we need to be more moderate. Shouldn't, you know, be too extreme in anything, you know, politically or religiously or, you know, you, you don't want to be an extremist. Um, but thankfully the Lord strengthened me and didn't let me be unduly influenced by her seemingly good counsel. Um, but then in her 80s, she got saved. And you know who pushed me to really pin her down on that? Danny. When Danny was little, he said, is Grammy saved? Has she ever come to Jesus? He was probably about six, something like that, possibly seven. 
And I said, well, Danny, I'm not really sure. And he said, you need to find out about that. So I, you ladies would go on the ladies retreat. I would take all the kids under my arm and we'd go visit Grammy uh, for the weekend. And the kids would go to bed and then Grammy and I could talk a lot about a lot of things. So we talked about that. Have you ever received Jesus as your own savior? And she looked at me and said, oh, yes. And we talked a little more about it just to nail it down. And God had touched her heart. She had become a believer. Though so years again, the power of prayer, all those years of prayer for those loved ones that seemingly aren't coming to the Lord. And, um, you know, we still will have some that, that may not come to the Lord. My dad, I have no evidence that he came to the Lord, but, you know, only the Lord knows for sure and what revelation they had before they checked out. You know, you never know what the Holy Spirit could have done in someone's heart, even though physically we didn't see it or know about it. God still could have spoken to them in, in you know, in the last hour, so to speak. So, um, and then after Paul said it's salvation by faith and not works, we, we are familiar with Ephesians 2.10, that God prepared the works ahead of time, that we should walk in them. So Paul is encouraging Timothy. You know, we, wanna, we want to disciple people that they will be ready for every good deed. Uh, that he opens it, he opens the door ahead of time and we just walk through the door. We just perform the good works that he puts in front of us. Uh, but Paul wants us to be trained and ready for all these good deeds that we can do it in the wisdom of the Lord, in the love of Jesus and, uh, sharing the word as, as we can. And then we know the word of God. Uh, Paul kept emphasizing with Timothy about the word of God, um, being ready to study the word, to preach the word, and to teach the word. So this verse here, verse 15, is on that point that Paul kept making with Timothy. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. So for me personally, when I retire, I plan to do a lot more Bible study. Um, I'll have the time. And, you know, I'm, I'm not one that, that I mean, I, I read the word every day and I'm in the word and that's been the most consistent probably part of my life. But I can't say that I'm always studying the word, okay? Uh, I, I need to improve in that. And uh, I certainly trusting God that, that I can do that now, uh, you know, once I retire in May, have a lot more relaxed lifestyle. But um, so the question is, are we studying the word so that we can accurately handle the word of truth? And thankfully, as I look out, we're a congregation that we're here every week. We're in the word every week. For me personally, of those who I just chat with on a consistent basis uh, that are really strong in going over the teaching notes. Ted Lewis and Jeff Garris, they devour 
those notes. They go over every scripture. They meditate on every scripture from every teaching. And uh, they put me to shame on that, I must say. Uh, so they really, uh, Jeff and Ted really have hearts to study that word. They're devouring it. So the question is, are we really devouring and studying the word like Paul uh, tells us so that we can accurately handle the word of truth? Now, uh, if we go back, we have a famous trio of analogies or metaphors that Paul uses, um, starting with uh, verse 3, chapter 2, verse 3. And this trio is, is very commonly referred to uh, by Bible teachers and believers. So he's talking about the suffering again. Christians will, will be suffering at some point some more than others, but said, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. So in other words, Paul wants us, it's telling Timothy, focus, maintain the focus in your life of serving Jesus, of fulfilling his purpose and his calling on your life. As we know, particularly life today, you know, with the internet and tablets and more TV channels, and you know, you might have 50 or 100 possible TV channels on your own TV. It's so easy for believers to become distracted and, uh, you know, from all, all angles, you know, anybody can get distracted by what's out there, whether it's legal things, illegal things, or whatever, they're all distractions to focusing on the Lord Jesus and on his calling on our life. So a soldier, Paul's saying, you know, a soldier focuses. Also, a soldier goes through extremely long and hard training sessions and workouts. And uh, if you ever have any questions about that training, just talk to Pablo Masas. Talk to Tyrone, uh, Tyrone Goldstein. Uh, there are veterans, and Pablo, as we know, was in the Marines for 20-some years. He can tell you about the hardships of training. So Paul is exhorting us. You know, he said, be ready to do this as a Christian. Uh, it may be, you know, prolonged times of prayer, uh, prolonged times of being in the Word, prolonged times of, like Dave, being with, staying with Jennifer, um, in the emergency room, um, not, the, not the emergency room, the waiting room after Elliot's surgery, uh, Dave, you know, has the love of Jesus and he's fulfilling God's calling on his life. It's not always easy. Uh, we get tired. And uh, so Paul's saying, just as a soldier goes through this long training, not to mention, you know, the potential of losing your life in battle, um, but soldiers have to keep going when they're fresh and when they're tired. So Paul is exhorting us to do that. And then the athlete, second in the triad, he says, also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. Now, as we read this in English and with our 20th century understanding, we think, oh, oh yeah, you can't break the rules in the game. 
but that's actually not what it's referring to. Uh, back then with the Greeks and the Romans, the rules, so to speak, was the training regimen. So Paul is actually saying you can't compete unless you keep the training regimen that's going to get you in the shape and be prepared to compete, whether it's the Olympics that they were holding back then, uh, even, um, or, you know, other athletic events, you know, what Paul talked about in Corinthians, you know, the wearing the wreath and everything. Um, so I'll give you some pictures, some uh, Paul's Day pictures and a contemporary picture to, to go with it so we can relate to it more, maybe. Um, so, and as you can see, there were male and female athletes back in those days. You know, t t Title IX, uh, the emperor had passed Title IX back then, so, you know, women could compete too and, and get the same money for it. Um, so, uh, we have to train and we have to, you know, again, the focus that it takes to do that for an athlete to be at that level, you know, our elite athletes today, Natural ability only takes us so far. You know, it has to be under the anointing of God and with his training regimen for us. Word, prayer, fellowship, etc. And then the farmer, obviously, same deal. Usually not as life-threatening as, as a soldier, certainly, uh, and hopefully an athlete the same, not necessarily life-threatening, but certainly long, long hours and working when you're, uh, when you're tired. Now, what Paul didn't mention there, the innuendo with the farmer is that also you're breathing all that crop dust and you're going to probably get restrictive heart disease where your lung doesn't expand anymore. Um, and so you're, you have to breathe kind of like a, a, a doggy pant uh, because the, the heart becomes, not the heart, the lung becomes stiff and it can't ex, uh, expand. So actually being the farmer is life-threatening. Uh, in the long run, okay? Today, the farmers have a cab over them with air conditioning for the winter and heat. I mean, air conditioning in the summer and heat in the winter. So farmers today are protected from that crop dust. But historically, up until more recent years, breathing that crop dust would could eventually kill them. So it was life-threatening. Pa Paul knew all that. You know, he just didn't have room to, to expound on it there. Okay, now, uh, jumping over to uh, chapter 3. Now, this isn't a passage that most people would be able to quote off the top of their head, but uh, Paul does utilize this list in some other, part, other letters as well. But he's talking about the last days. Now, those of us going to the eschatology class have learned from Dave last days started when Jesus was raised from the dead. So it's the, the church uh, that God is, is building, you know, the holy, end, uh, the holy temple and the body of Christ. God uses these different uh, analogies for us. Um, so it started, you know, back in Paul's time there, and we're also in the last days. But... Um, he said these qualities will be uh, very blatant in society. said, for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money. You know, we don't see anybody in our society loving self at all, you know. Um, 
no athletes or, you know, movie stars or, you know, just open a, uh, open any magazine and, you know, right there, lovers of self and lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers. And we're not talking about just a few individuals. It becomes pervasive in society, which we have seen in our own American society, obviously, to a heightened level through uh, our lifetimes. Uh, if you have any more questions about that, just talk with Larry and Lori. They've seen major changes throughout their entire lifetime in, in our society. And then uh, without self-control, you know, people acting on impulse, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Lastly, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Avoid such men as these. So when he says avoid them, he doesn't, he's not saying don't ever share the gospel with any of those people. No, that's not what he's saying. You know, you don't want them as your best friend, your confidant, those that, you know, that, that you would be the closest to. No, they shouldn't be your best friends, but they are someone that you can be ministering to, to share the word of God with, sharing the love of Jesus and the word of God with them. But again, as far as the Titus Fellowship, naturally we want people that are like-minded in the Lord, that are going to support us in prayer, that we can talk about Bible verses with, those that we can have koinonia, have intense Christian fellowship with, those the ones, obviously, that we would be tightest with. All these other characteristics, you know, folks that that's the center of their life, we want to bring them to the kingdom of God. Watch the power of prayer and action in their lives. Okay, now, um, so we talked about persecution, and in verse 12, again, all those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So when it does happen in our lives, we can just check that one off and say, okay, Lord, there's another one in Scripture. You said it was coming. Maybe I haven't been persecuted that much yet, but... Uh, wow, there's my persecution, Lord. They found out I'm a Christian and they put a brick through my windshield or, you know, whatever, you know, whatever persecution could come to, to any of us. Um, Paul says it's, it's a given uh, to some, to one degree or another. And then verse 16 and 17, we're very familiar with this. All scripture is inspired by God. You know, how often have we gotten that question from unbelievers? You know, ah, this is just a book written by men. Well, men took the stylus and penned the actual words, but they were under the direct influence, obviously, of God. All scripture is inspired by God. Yeah, but, you know, Moses wasn't around in, during the days of Genesis, so how could Moses write Genesis? Well, this tells us all scripture is inspired by God. Who told Moses what to write? Okay, God himself. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So again, if we're in the word and receiving the benefits 
uh, and the reproving benefits, the correcting benefits of the Word of God, as well as what other brothers or sisters may speak into our life through the Word of God, uh, we will be equipped for every good work. And remember, there's Paul gets on later and talks about the crowns in heaven. Uh, God promises we will be rewarded for those good works that we do for him. Not for self, but for him. And then in the last chapter, verse 2, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. How often do we hear that? Okay, reprove, rebuke, exhort, but do it with great patience and instruction. In other words, don't do it as a know-it-all. Don't do it from the last list we just read, being arrogant, being conceited about it, because we know 1 Corinthians 13, that's not love. He's saying to share in love. Do it with great patience, whether it's believers uh, or whether it's unbelievers. Uh, but so in season, in the summer, we're out every other Friday night evangelizing or some Sunday mornings. That's what we could consider in season. We're there for that purpose. We have brothers and sisters around us. We're evangelizing together. That's a little easier situation. That's in season. Well, how about if you're in a store and somebody behind you starts talking about, you know, something that it's easy just to step in and say, well, you know, actually, if you trust the Lord Jesus for that, you know, and he wants to save you from that or, you know, whatever, well, I'm at a grocery store. I, I shouldn't do it in the, no, that might be out of season. But if God puts us there and opens that door to share, uh, then even though, you know, it's not a Friday night evangelism event um, or it's not out in front of the church on Sunday morning, that's in season. We also have to be ready out of season. Even the times we're tired, the times we don't feel like it, the time we might be discouraged, but God opens that door to share. We still have to run through the door and share his word. And then similar to that, kind of on the heels of that and jumping down to verse five, but you be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So in our congregation, who, do, who would you say has the gift of evangelism? Paul talks about in Ephesians 4, the gift or office of apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastors, and teachers. Who's our evangelist? Well, I think we'd all agree, Brother Jose Ruiz. He has the gift of evangelism. He can't stop sharing Jesus. Ask Jose if, about the most recent time he shared about the Lord on his job. He's sharing with clients all day long. His coworkers, as God opens the door, he throws more seed their way. But he is always sharing the gospel. Every week, he's sharing the gospel. It's like the devil could try to put tape over his mouth. He would just rip that tape off and still keep talking about Jesus. So, but the rest of us don't have the gift of an evangelist, but, or, or some, maybe it's budding, maybe it's in there and just hasn't been totally manifested yet. That, that's possible. I don't want to discourage anybody, but 
if for those of us that don't actually have the gift of evangelism, does that mean we shouldn't share? Obviously not. So Paul is telling Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. That's not your gift, but still do the work of an evangelist. So we have to ask ourselves, Lord, am I still doing the work of an evangelist? Are my eyes always watching for opportunities to share? Or do I just go through every day, just, you know, doing my work, living my life, whatever. Now, if we're ready to share, ready to do the work on evangelist, God isn't always going to open the door for that. You know, we have to wait till the, the opportunity is there. But when it arrives, are we ready? So we can ask the Lord, Lord, am I ready to do the work of an evangelist? Even when I don't feel like it. And then the climax to me of the, of the whole book and maybe all of Paul's letters. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering in the time of my departure has come. Okay, so those 34 years of serving the Lord Jesus with the highest of intensity, except for Jesus, you know, do we know anybody in, in the New Testament who had a higher intensity than Paul? You know, some maybe were equal. You could say, well, Peter had that kind of intensity. Okay, you know, Peter did, you know, Stephen did. He got stoned for it. Yes, Stephen did. You know, there were others that may have been as intense, but I don't think we would say we could ever say somebody was more intense than Paul. It's just, you couldn't. The stripes on his back from all the floggings, beatings, stoning, you know, stoned to death, but came back and, you know, nobody was more intense than Paul. Just like nobody was more intense in persecuting the church. Nobody was more intense in serving Jesus. So he said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. And there he's not talking about just some little, you know, oh, keep the faith. You know, you hear that expression used sometimes. That's, you know, their faith could be in any other religion or worshiping trees or anything else. That, that's not what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about the instruction and true doctrine of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has kept the faith. And in the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all those who have loved his appearing. Now, how do you think Paul approached the fact when he first realized, when the Lord, the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said, Paul, okay, you've been imprisoned twice, arrested twice in Rome. The first time was house arrest. Okay, if you look at the timeline, under the house arrest from around 60 AD for uh, just a few years there, that's where he wrote um, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon, those letters. Okay, so he was a prisoner, yes, but house arrest, not so intense. This time, as he said in this book, he's a criminal prisoner. He's being treated as a criminal. He's not 
under this house arrest. And so this last letter was written under the most intense of circumstances. That's why he said, bring my cloak to me. It's cold in this place. Okay. Um, you know, this is, this is 24 seven being in a really horrible situation. But this, this time he knew the Lord had spoken. This is it. So when the Lord spoke that to him, was Paul fearful? What do we think? Like, how did Paul approach that? Well, thankfully, under the first house arrest, when he wrote the letter to the Philippians, you don't need to turn to it, but uh, I'm sure Carl will have it there, but you can jot it down. Philippians 1, 20 through 25. He says, starting in verse uh, Philippians 1, 20, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, or as Paul knew, to be as bold as a lion, but with all boldness, Christ will even now as always be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. He had already come to that. To, to facing that back probably years before as well, but he's writing this under his house arrest about seven years before, six or seven years before he was uh, martyred in 67 AD when he wrote Second Timothy. He says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. And I do not know which to choose, but I'm hard pressed from both directions. Having the desire to depart and be with Christ for that is very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. So back in roughly, you know, 60 or, you know, roughly AD, seven year, roughly seven years before he was martyred, he was writing this, you know, Lord hasn't told me yet that I'm going to be out of here. So I'm going to stay for your sake. But when he wrote Second Timothy, that was the end of the line. So God's question to us, do we have the faith of Paul in this? Okay, we can meditate in this Philippians 1 here. Meditate in that Second Timothy uh, 4, those verses, so that we can say, you know, I have fought the good fight. You know, I have kept the faith. I have finished the course that... If we were, you know, if we were in a car accident, you know, God forbid that that doesn't happen. But that if I was to check out tomorrow or this afternoon or whatever, could I still say I have finished the course? So every day we need to serve Jesus like it's our last, that we can agree with Paul. We have kept the faith. We have finished the course whenever that course is going to finish. Might not be till 
30 years from now, 50 years from now, war could be tomorrow. Uh, God wants us to have that intensity and that we would say, oh, I would rather depart and be with Christ. Donna's mom, Barbara Howe, epitomized that. She was texting people, even with her ALS, she could barely even move her muscles. She's texting people saying, I want to be out of here. I want to be with Christ. She had totally had Paul's same mindset on that. She was ready to go be with her Savior. She couldn't wait. She didn't want to hang around as long as she did. But she served God with every breath, every muscle that could still move in her finger to write a text to encourage somebody in their faith in Christ. So may we have that same intensity to serve the Lord, to live as Christ, but to die and depart and be with Christ is gain. So let's, uh, whatever God may have, any individual point the Lord may have spoken to you, take that and run with it this week. And may we all just serve him each day, our, our outlook every day. May it be to have that same intensity of serving the Lord, not taking a day off. Might have a day off from work or whatever, but not a day off from focusing like a soldier, like an athlete, like a farmer, focusing on him and handling accurately the word of truth, being strong in the word and, um, and in good, rich in good works that we can keep that same intensity that Paul did. Father, we just ask that you would water your word in our lives. We ask, Lord, that you will take whatever point you may have spoken to us today, water that, and Lord, just change us and make us more like you, that we can serve you with the intensity that our brother Paul served you. So we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.